0: Welcome to the Hey soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can.
1: Hey soul Sisters, today we are getting a bit personal. I have two special guests here with me today for a bit of girl chat, talking fertility and cycles and hormones and contraception, all the awesome girl stuff. I have local journalist, writer and content creator, the fabulous Alex Morris. Hi. Hey, Alex. thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) We're just moving that mic Mm, in a bit closer. Better, better, better. Better, yeah. yeah. And Emily Ford. So... Emily is, or M, to her new friends, us, (laughs) is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Newcastle. She studies early fertility loss and accessibility to fertility information, including the way women access info on health apps.
0: Hey, Emily, how you doing? Good, how are you?
1: I'm so um, pleased you could come in today. You sound like a very busy woman.
0: Yeah, yeah, very busy, but I always (laughs) have time to talk about the things I love.
1: Which is all things um fertility and...
0: Health information. I love talking about fertility apps. They really interest me. So it'd be good mm. to chat about that later. Mm.
1: Beautiful. Mm. So Alex and I <laughs> were having a catch-up at the Edwards, chewing the fat about life, and we started talking... Yeah. About, about periods
2: <laughs> and contraception yeah yeah and i w- yes. and i was like i know the perfect person for you to talk to because because what i don't know what spawned it like what we were actually talking about specifically i can't remember either i was mm. thinking
1: about that this morning going i can't remember how we got into the path I think of contraception you were
2: telling me about another podcast that you did that was Maybe it was about ovarian cancer or something Oh, no. Was it the one
1: about your vagina is normal? Is your vagina normal? (laughs)
2: And then I was like, speaking of vaginas. (laughs) Speaking of vaginas, (laughs) let's talk about contraception and sex Mm. and fertility and
1: Mm. baby making. Yes. So it was Alex that told me about Emily. So yes, great to have you in here, my friend. Tell us how you became interested in fertility.
0: Well, it's a pretty long road for me. I started at uni doing science teaching because I really think that everyone should know about science and everyone should want to be a scientist. Um, But I actually thought it was a bit late for me to be a scientist, which was weird because I was doing a science degree. And then one of my courses was about reproduction. And I learned about how intricate this process was. And it seemed unbelievable that it happened so much to me. And so from there, I kind of just changed. And I was like, Let's do research. Let's find out about, more about reproduction and fertility. So, And I haven't looked back. Good on you, girlfriend.
1: Now, they say that falling pregnant and having a baby is a miracle. Well, they say that kind of in the Bible and, you know, articles and things. But how much of a miracle is it to actually have a healthy egg, meet a healthy sperm, and grow into a healthy baby?
0: Well, if you're going to talk about numbers... It's generally a one in five chance of getting, of conceiving per unprotected sexual intercourse. But when I think about how much of a miracle it is on the molecular level, I think I've described it to Alex before as being kind of like getting a rocket into space. Like... (laughs) We do it. It's been done. But like if you have to make the rocket and you have to do all those buttons at the exact right time to get to the exact right place without burning up and dying, then that's a miracle. But it seems so commonplace.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it was really interesting when we sat down. There's this article that I did where uh, M just basically tells me a lot of what she knows. And then I talk about some of my biases, I guess, as... Um, a person who's not really a fan of hormonal birth control. Um, But specifically, you know, people get pregnant all the time. And sometimes we talk about even an overpopulation problem. And yet there are actually um, the, the rise of IVF is... Yeah. Uh, I was reading that article I tweeted the other day from the Herald about, like, I think in, in the future there's going to be one kid in every classroom that's going to be conceived. There
0: is now. Yeah, there already one, is. Yeah, 1 in 30, yeah. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So what is it then that impacts our fertility, Em? So there's so many things that can impact your fertility in your life. Um, so if we think about for the female reproductive system, your eggs develop when you are an egg in your mother's, like, body when she is an embryo. So even when like, so when I'm an embryo, I've got eggs in my body. So the material mm. for you, <laughs> I know. I was material like, for you was formed when your mother was developing inside your grandmother. So what? what? <laughs> yeah. How is that even possible? Isn't that beautiful? It's <laughs> yeah. so cool. So, you know, you can think about if your grandmother, you know, smoked heavily during pregnancy, if she was undernourished in any way. So or your mother as well during her life, so the big the big few things that can influence our fertility for female fertility is age number one. Um, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that. It's coming to sphere. Um, our diet, um, so just being undernourished in any way. So you could be underweight, overweight. Um, they can influence it. Also smoking, um, but yeah, they're the big the big few. But the reproductive system is a long and complicated um, beast. So there's so many things that can happen, you know, blocked tubes, weird-shaped cervix. or um, So all these things can kind of be barriers to our fertility. But it's hard to know because a lot of these problems look the same on the outside to you. If you don't have a period, a regular period, it could be for hundreds of reasons and we don't know. So mm. there's a lot of ways it can be affected, but there's a lot of ways that you can kind of recapture that and bring that back
2: and i wanted to jump, jump in there because one of the one of the first conversations we had i think when we were talking fertility or and when i first met you is you were telling me that you were doing research around the fertility apps mm. and i use a fertility app i've been using a fertility app for at least probably four years now and you um, well, there's a joke. You said you have a nickname for people who use fertility apps. You call them mothers. Was that? Did you, um, I don't know if you said that or if, if that was no. a joke I heard or something like that. So there's a little bit of um, skepticism <laughs> around fertility apps. Yeah. Yes, um, I have heard that. Yeah, said. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I read years ago a book called "The Cultural History of Menstruation Flow." The Cultural History of Menstruation and. I realized that I had been taking hormonal birth control for years without actually analyzing why I was taking it. It was just kind of a simple thing to do and in many ways, and I am not here to shame it at all. Like I think it has saved so many people's lives and it's a good thing, but I'm also very interested in the way that particularly in like the US and Australia and developed countries around the world, um, people just take it. Um, when they turn 14 or even younger without even knowing anything about how their bodies operate or anything like that. Do you know what? Absolutely.
1: And I was just saying to Em before before we started today that a few years ago, I was uh, at a retreat and Dr. Libby Weaver was there and presenting. And so she is... Um, now an international author and speaker. So she did her PhD at the University of Newcastle um, as well. So high five. yeah, Yeah, Alumni, Newcastle uni alumni. So she was talking, I found this really interesting. She was saying the, the same thing that quite often girls get to 14, 15, 16 and they're put on the pill. You know, and quite often, I'll be honest. It's mums go, mm. okay, I'm going to take my daughter to the doctor. I'm going to get her on the pill, and may- maybe for bad skin, or it may be because you know uh, my girl, my daughter getting sexually active. I'll take her, I'll get her on the pill, and she'll be okay. But what Doctor we Libby Weaver was saying was that the pill it stops ovulation, um, and so and it also stops the production of progesterone, which is um increases on the second half after ovulation the second half of the cycle and progesterone is a calming hormone Mm -hmm. it's an anti-anxiety calming hormone so you take the pill you're not ovulating you're not producing the progesterone and if you're on the pill from the age of, say, 15, and, you know, you're getting to your 20s, like mid to late 20s, early 30s, and you're looking to have a baby, number one, your body has not been ovulating for that long. And number two, for that length of time, you have been without your progesterone, your anti-anxiety hormone. And she was kind of then then saying, you know, think about the impact of girls – growing, developing their mental health, um, not having that calming hormone. And I was like, oh, my goodness, we don't hear about that. People don't talk about that. Doctors don't talk about that. Um, I found that really astounding. Mm.
0: Yeah, because you are being supplied with an artificial progesterone in the pill, but you're not producing it. So I think that's the main distinction there. But I think as far as doctors go, the hormone has a job, um, which is to do with how your body works, controlling your body temperature, even. So I think, as far as they're concerned, pregnancy is always the priority, preventing that, and then everything else is secondary. And yeah. when we think about the pill, it was invented like what is it? Since nineteen sixty yeah. So yeah. that so long ago, and not that much has changed. Yeah. Um, but we kind of, it's just the first line of defense is just like get them on it. But then you also have to think about the pill you have to take it every single day at around the same time what if you have some indigestinal problems you have the runs um you have a night out and vomit (laughs) it up you're you're not metabolizing that pill so you're actually compromising Mm. its ability to work so when we talk about contraception we have a rating of it's perfect use and then it's typical use so how it should work if we do all the right things in all the right ways and then the way it actually works in our bodies based on how we take that and a lot of the problem it's not human error it's just the way of life that actually decreases its efficiency it's not actually we're doing something wrong it's just a lot of factors out of our control that really diminish how effective it is
2: And I, it was just, and and these types of conversations are so interesting. And I wish that when I went on birth control, it was just something that was brought up, even, you know, even like the, how, how well it works, what you have to watch out for, um, the thing like that, you won't ovulate. I think that's a really interesting thing that I didn't learn until much later. And maybe it's not a big deal, but when I did, so I was on the, uh, went on the pill probably when I was maybe 17 or 18 and, I ended up going off it when I was 20, not even deliberately, I was just overseas and my prescription ran out. And then I didn't get my normal period for like a year. And that's not a huge thing, but at the same time, it was just so interesting to me because I was like, has my body been working right this whole time? Like, Mm. um, and I found out through not being on hormonal birth control and just using condoms, I, I learned so many interesting things about my body that I think I might never have known. I have heard before that things like, um, and Em, you can probably talk about this better than I can, that like endometriosis and some other problems don't get diagnosed as easily when you're on birth, hormonal birth control. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot of a lot of things we should be talking about more.
0: Yeah, I actually read a study today that just came out in February. So looking at menstrual cycle tracking apps so now scientists can access the data in these to study and we're learning so much more about what is a normal period and a lot of these apps you can put in things about how you feel like your concentration and they found that they looked at the seasons so in the northern hemisphere particularly seasons can really affect your mood and your productivity the days of the week can and the the weeks can but what they found was out of all these different ways that your mood can be changed it was a menstrual cycle that really affected it the most mm. and you know it's not down to like oh, I'm having a bad day it's like knowing your body and working best around the cycle and how you feel
2: yeah like there's <laughs> ideas that if you're not on hormonal birth control, you can do a lot of str- strategic things like plan your meetings when you're ovulating, because when you're ovulating, that's when you're supposed to be like the most vivacious yeah. and stuff like that. And, and and it makes sense. And I've started doing that now because my app is pretty spot on and I can be like, okay, there's a big three-day thing going on, but I'm going to be premenstrual at that time. Maybe I don't want to do that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you know what? I follow a menstrual app as well Mm -hmm. and just as a side thing I actually really I think I was on the pill as a teenager because I had really bad skin but besides that I was in a relationship for a long time I used condoms for seven years Mm. never had an unexpected pregnancy I will say Mm -hmm. and then I went on an IUD and then after that I had cancer and then I went you know and I kind of you know everything changed Mm. and all that but um so, but now I'm all back into normal flow and, you know, not on any contraception. My hubby's had the snip and <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, hubby. <laughs> Lucky you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, but I use a menstrual app and it's, I do exactly that. I check in regularly to go, okay, where am I at in my cycle? Okay. I can actually feel when I ovulate. So I, mm. I generally know cause I feel it.
2: Yeah. How does it feel? A bit icky. Is it like a little pain? Yes. I think I might feel it too. I was, because it's like, and it's, your app is predicting it in the green zone. Yeah. So,
0: um, but I'm always curious, like,
2: why does it feel a little bit painful?
0: Yeah. So it's like a muscle contraction. That's kind of how it feels. So your ovary is not like completely attached to where it needs to like eject it. And so if you think about like what an egg, when it's about to be popped out, it's in this huge inflated lump of like cells and which what we call a cyst yeah um that's just a an egg about to ovulate and so it really swells up your ovary and then it just like pops it out (laughs) and it has to be caught by the fallopian tube and then to be gently pushed down by all these little that's another question I was going to
2: ask you so I have a theory that I have a good ovary and a bad ovary I feel like one month I have a better period than another like one month I'm like, and this could be completely BS. Um, but, <laughs> no, they can work
0: differently. Yeah. It,
2: but I swear, like, so this last month, so I just finished a period and I, I was just way less emotional. Like, there's definitely one where I'm, like, ugly crying and, like, worse
0: pain. Well, that, that bloated cellular lump I talked about, that actually is what produces a hormone. So maybe on one side, it's not as effective at producing the right amount or maybe too oh. much. But, yeah, some people only ovulate on one side or the other sometimes, like, it's totally, it can happen either it, way. You've yeah. got two. Does the ovary, one ovary ovulate
2: one month and then the other ovary ovulate the other month? Is
0: the, no, it's no. not as even as okay. that. It can okay. be one only. It can be like, it's kind of random. Is it? Yeah. That's so I'm weird it's sure. random, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, they're talking to each other. <laughs> and they've got this organized. They've got Excel spreadsheets <laughs> going we, don't, on. We, we don't really know a lot about what makes that egg the one that comes out. So from from when they are first started to grow to when they're, you know, ovulated, we don't really know what's driving that. Is it the best one that comes out? Is it the one that's just furthest along? We don't really know. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram.
1: So I've got a question for you. What I have noticed through my app, I actually have a 25, 26 day cycle which x me, why can't it be 28 or 30? Mm. But um, I have noticed that if I have a month where I've had a lot going on and I feel stressed and I have a lot on my mind, I have a much more painful period.
0: Interesting. That is interesting.
1: That's what I've observed. Yeah, and my period will last longer and it will be much more painful and I will bleed heavier. If you've been stressed. That, 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 yes, if I've been stressed, if I've had a stressful month, weeks, a couple let's say a week or two leading up to the period. Maybe the stress
0: was caused by the cycle mm. in the first place. I don't know. <laughs> the chicken and the egg. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. <laughs> the egg or the egg. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> the, the ovary or the, yeah. or the egg or the woman.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting.
2: I, I don't know. Maybe it is that, but um, yeah. Here's another weird thing, and I talked about this in my article I found um, I didn't have, I don't mind talking about this, I didn't have a very regular period before I got on the pill, and then after I went off the pill, my period went back to being kind of irregular, and I didn't have a very consistent sex life with the same person for a long time. In my early 20s, I was, I guess, exploring and figuring things out and being single, and I found that I didn't actually consistently get um, a period at the same time every month until I got in a monogamous relationship.
0: And I don't know if that, like, and is, is that dangerous thing to bring? <laughs> no. So when you're younger, you're more likely to have inconsistent cycles okay. that are right. longer. So right. they generally get shorter as like, as you get older. Um, mm. I'm talking decades older. Okay. So, okay.
2: so that might have been part of it. It wasn't that my body was ready to have a
0: baby. <laughs> like, well, that's what I wondered. Like, Well, it is part of, yeah. like, your fertility as mm. well. So when you're entering that peak fertile years, it's... Yeah, it's more likely that you'll have a regular cycle too, mm. because that will be. Um, so you don't
2: think it would, has anything to do with like, um, I don't know, testosterone, like consistent testosterone being around that, and. It, I don't know. Yeah. It could be, but <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I don't know either, but I, I just found it really interesting that, I was worried that I might have endometriosis or something because my period was so bizarre, and then I, but it could also be, and maybe this is less to do with the man in my life, and it could also just be like. I became less stressed as I got older and mm-hmm. my body was more like yeah, you know, because because I used to like freak exercise in my when I was like and, and like too much exercise and you talk that about undernourishment affect, and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah.
0: too much exercise can affect um your periods. Like if you're straight, like putting a lot of strain on yourself. Um that's why a lot of people see intermittent like spotting in between periods. Yep. It's just yeah, it can affect it. So, Em, um, is it true that infertility is on the rise? Yes, it is. Uh, we have a measure of world fertility and in it's called the total replacement rate. So how many babies need to be born to replace the people that are there? Um, and most countries in the world are below replacement rates. So they're not able to replace their population. Um, and that's taking into account like people moving countries and all that kind of thing. So this is we don't really know why. Um, is it because people are leaving things a bit later and it makes it harder? That's one part. Yeah. Um, is it because, you know, our bodies are so influenced by the environments around us and there's been a lot of things like that have been known to affect af- fertility in our environment like BPA and things like that. So What's is BPA? It, um, it's just like a plastics filler. Oh, okay. You'll see a lot of plastics say no BPA because yeah. it was – um, ruled out but you know things like plastics we consume lace with these things is it a result of generations of exposure of so many small things that have just led us to where we are now or is it just some immediate things and i think it's a mix of both mm. but yeah, more and more people are being driven to assisted reproductive technologies like ivf because of it
1: so is endometriosis on the rise because I feel as though I'm hearing more and more and more
0: women talk about Mm. having endometriosis and that it's affecting their fertility it is on the rise and I think it's because it's now being diagnosed when it never really was before I think women being in pain during their cycle in their abdomen is just something that we just take for granted like yes you will be in pain and that is normal um, but I think now it's getting recognition as a condition. So we're seeing it a lot more. As for why a lot of people have endometriosis, I don't know. That's not really my specialty. But I am glad that it's getting a lot more attention. There's a lot more research on it now, which I think will only lead to better outcomes for people mm-hmm. with endometriosis. So how true is it that the older you get, the harder it is mm-hmm. to
1: um, conceive? I-, I had my son when I was 25. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky had an easy pregnancy. under had a 22-hour labour. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a fairly easy pregnancy and I fell pregnant very easily. Um, and at the same time, there was a woman I knew who was 35 and she fell pregnant and she was quite anxious about um, Down syndrome. She was going to get tested. I think back then um, they don't have necessarily the, the tests that they do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was really anxious about that. And she said to me, I'm ancient in child reproductive
0: terms. They actually call it a geriatric pregnancy when you're 35 or older, (laughs) which is really, it should be changed. It's one of those things in medicine that they're just, well, that's what we called it. So we'll just keep teaching them that. But if you think about your eggs, they're, they're in your body from before you're born. And most cells in your body, they grow, they replace themselves, but the eggs don't. They're just sitting there for years and years until they decide to become ovulated. So that's where a lot of the problems come from. And, you know, issues like Down syndrome or miscarriage from extra chromosomes, it's just because we know when the sperm meet the egg, it's just a cell that starts dividing, and dividing, and dividing. And that ability to divide is decreased the older we get. It's just harder for the cells to pull those chromosomes apart. So they end up becoming uneven, which usually results in a miscarriage. So it is it is harder to get pregnant as you get older. And after 35 is when that really starts to drop. But it's it's all about the risks that you're taking. So it's not impossible. You can get pregnant many times, but will you go through... Or I risk of, you know, just losing a pregnancy. So it's not impossible. Um, depending on, you know, your family history, there's lots of stories of women conceiving in their 40s. Yeah, lenis Morissette. I mean, she's really wealthy, but she just had a baby at 45 or something Really? Like yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. do we know it was natural? No, that's one a lot true. of the things that that's, have come out. Mm, um, mm. A lot of famous people, um, my supervisor, she always likes to talk about Janet Jackson, who apparently got pregnant really, really late, but... It was a donut egg um. and people don't really – it's not really talked about. It's like, look, I have this amazing baby and I'm, like, older because I mm. can do it and it's fine because IVF is still so taboo and getting help and being infertile is still a bit of a burden um, and it shouldn't be. So yeah. people kind of like to – Well, it's interesting. Um, Camilla, the fashion fashionista
1: Camilla that makes all the – Big dresses, mm. <laughs> shawls, um, So, Well, she fell pregnant at 41 and she said she had gone to the doctor and the doctor was like, you won't be able to fall pregnant without having IVF. And then she fell pregnant naturally and so came out in the media going – look, I ha- I'm i pregnant naturally at 41 and girls, you can have it all. You mm. can have your career, you know, during during your 20s and 30s and don't necessarily um, always take on the advice of the doctors. Look what I feel pregnant naturally at 41. You know, you can do it too. And then Lisa Wilkinson came out like a day or two later and said, look, I just need to give you the other side of the story. Um, her and a hubby were looking to have another child in their 40s. And she said, we tried and tried. We had three miscarriages and we ended up having to go, this is not going to, this is not mm-hmm. working mm-hmm. And, and let it go. And so she was kind of going, it's not always that easy. Yeah.
0: I think it's so abnormal that we are putting our reproductive system on a pedestal and being mm. like, I'm perfect in every single way. And my ability to be successful is judged by how great my ability to about is. kids is. Yeah. And it's just, it's so misleading.
1: Want to fill your soul with more?
0: Go to thesisterco.com. I do have a question. So I have a friend
2: um, and she's 40. She recommended me free because I'm 33. She said, freeze your eggs and do it now. And I was like, hmm. Huh. Because it's <laughs> very expensive. Yes. And invasive. Yes. And can be painful. And I, well, I don't know. I I guess
0: it's, I don't know. It was just a funny thing because I was like, I don't even want to think about that. It's hard. I think studying reproduction for, you know, the 10 years that I have, we are constantly told you can't have kids after this age. It's really hard. You're going to be sad. You're going to be in pain and it probably won't work. And then we say, okay, back to the lab. But what that research needs is huge, comprehensive social policy to make it available for people to fit children into their lives, Mm. to afford to be able to have children, to Mm. have like, you know, childcare, wages, job stability, because all those things are what is causing people to delay children. Mm. It's not actually the fact that they – they need to have them later it's because they're not allowed to have them mm. sooner without detriment to themselves
1: that's true it's like mm. okay let's get get my career to a point where i'm earning reasonable money
0: um i've got some savings in the bank and i can have that time off to have a baby mm. yeah it doesn't need to be like that but that's the way that it is um egg freezing is really common some companies pay for their staff too freeze eggs no like, i think there was wow. there was a news story i think it was google like uh, many years ago and it's so <laughs> unethical just promoting that as a but you know isn't when that you, interesting it's mm-hmm. it's preying on your fear yeah it's yeah isn't it it's better yeah. to have a young egg to have a baby and if it's your egg good for you um but you know having that as an alternative to paid parental leave childcare and all that kind of thing jobs. such so many interesting it's ethical so questions. evil it's so evil.
2: I remember when I was in my early 20s and I was kind of broke I contemplated selling my eggs because in the states they will pay you quite a lot of money if yeah. you're a non-smoker and you don't like and you live a fairly healthy lifestyle and it was like like grand like a several yeah. grand maybe it was 10 grand or something and I was like well I can just give someone my egg and they can they'll be wealthy so they'll raise the baby mm-hmm. and i will be fine mm-hmm. and I'll my genes will be out there and I don't have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> do you think anyone wants 46-year-old eggs?
1: Um, don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't need them anymore. <laughs>
1: if
0: someone wants to pay me 10 grand, I'd be nice. I think that a lot too, but I'm an identical twin. And oh, yeah. yes, my twin sister has two kids. So she's having my children for me. <laughs> uh, that's what I think. Because I'm undecided. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I, she said, I was like, oh my gosh.
2: Your Her sister would have the exact – children would have the same DNA as your children. Yeah, so I'm yeah.
0: their biological mother as well. I just didn't get to choose a father.
2: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Never thought about that. Yeah. Oh, that's great.
1: Now, let's go back to the health apps mm-hmm. because you are – I'm calling you an expert in health
0: – fertility apps. What ones do you like? So there has been a few studies. So one of my biggest issues with apps is – A lot of them have like paywalls. You have to pay a subscription for it, which I really don't like because most of the people that use apps are women who are white in their 20s to 30s that use these apps. And that is a cultural thing in some ways, um, but it also is just not very accessible to a lot of people. But that being said, some of the best apps are Clue and OVR. And, um, I've heard mixed, I have mixed feelings about natural cycles. I'm actually not sure if that's available in Australia, but you have to pay to use that one. Um, it's specifically a contraception, um, cause that was the, I'm not sure if anyone's heard the news story of the Swedish mm. physicist who decided to make her own app. That's that app. No, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, tell me i can see there's something going on there i have a lot of thoughts about it so it's just so she developed an algorithm to predict fertile days um and it's swedish so it's a lot of studies been done in sweden and america on this app you get you have to do your temperature daily um you can buy optional um testing kits ovulation testing kits but I think it was like $60 a month or something for it. Wow! And the studies they did too, because actually in America and Sweden, it, it's a verified contraceptive. So it actually has a rating that other contraceptives have. But the way they got that rating was people who were already using it as a contraceptive, they just studied them if they had a certain cycle range and said, well, we only got one in every hundred got pregnant. So that's like the great... A great amount of like contraception, but it's like ninety percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There were that which is it's fair enough, but the only people they were studying were people who were already using it, saying it was a contraceptive app. They didn't know. They were only allowed to have cycles that were, um, I think, between twenty and forty days, and they couldn't be variable more than ten days either side of that. So, who is it helping, um, and who is missing out? Yeah, and yeah, so I think there's a lot of, you know, beware. Yeah. But
2: yeah. I think because I, I was really into the app, and I um, I have had relationships with just condoms only, and it's been fine. And then I think I was more and more interested in the stats behind the pullout method and stuff like that. But actually, I do think you, I think the longer I've been experimenting with the app, I do think it is good to probably have more than just that like some and the pullout method like possibly condoms yeah. the diaphragm which i've just started using or i'm sure do you like the things. diaphragm well i was hoping you'd have. <laughs> <laughs> i brought in my diaphragm <laughs> she really did <laughs> well i just got it so so it's just been interesting because not everyone loves condoms and um i have never had a real problem with condoms but um hopefully my partner won't mind me saying that he's not He doesn't love them quite as much as maybe, and a lot of men don't, like there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a stigma around them and it's interesting. So I said, well, this is like a woman's condom. So it's made of, um, silicon, I think it's, um, and it's basically you, um, you can wear it for inside your body for up to 24 hours, Um, I learned how to find my cervix, which I'd never done before. That was interesting. So I paid for it at the Women's Health Clinic. It was like $200. I think it lasts for several years. Um, They give you, you also buy the spermicide that comes with it. So you put put the spermicide on the diaphragm, then you put it up, but you have to make sure it covers your cervix. So that is the interesting thing Mm. because your cervix feels like the tip of your nose, I learned, and it's actually... Like, the first time I did it, I was probably, like, squatting on the ground for about two hours. Mm. (laughs) It was, like, not sexy at all. My partner was like, yeah, uh, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just interesting because when I did finally use it, it was okay, but it wasn't um, as enjoyable for me in some ways as condom sex was. And it just made me think about men with condoms um, and how, actually... Like oh, you always dismiss people, like, oh, condoms, you'll be fine. But yeah. when your sex experience isn't as great, it does make you less likely to even want to do it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm hoping it'll get better. I'm just
1: <laughs> impressed you found your cervix because <clears throat> every time I go for a pap smear, the nurse literally has to dig around. She can, they yeah. can never find my cervix. They go, oh, your cervix is hidden right at the
2: back. It's really oh, wow. hard to find. Post are not fun i hate putting tampons in so i wouldn't want to keep no. going past but that, that. The thing. like i was like i am getting so familiar with my inside like and i use a diva cup for my period and stuff like that like i am all about my own vagina but i have never like like and it is really interesting because you're like so what is a cervix and is that where like like i i don't know it was just really interesting to kind of um yeah Like, it does feel like the tip of your nose and knowing that that has been there all along and I didn't even know that. You discovered something about yourself. found it, yes. I'm I'm impressed. (laughs) So anyway, I'm not like, um, I think we'll probably still be using this and condoms and stuff like that. Um, It is exciting and interesting and I'm hoping that I'll get better and better with it, but it wasn't like the dream solution that I thought it was going to be, but maybe with time it'll be a little bit better. So I don't know, you know, that's the frustrating thing about contraceptives and birth control is like nothing is perfect right
0: yeah and a lot of the own onus is on you mm. as a, mm. the childbearing partner yes yes yeah. want to save your soul review us on apple podcast there's been a lot of research into male contraceptives so an equivalent to the pill um some some of them are hormonal some of them aren't but we have a much higher standard of what we accept in a contraceptive now which the pill kind of wouldn't pass in this day and age but because it's historically been there and still used so it is hard and i find apps are generally more conservative about your fertile non-fertile days sometimes i'll uh-huh. chuck in the day wrong day on either side but they generally give you more like fertile days than you probably actually have yeah to, well, to kind smart. of prevent that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 that's
2: smart but
0: yeah. you know the sperm can survive varying lengths of time in there despite the fact it's like a death zone for them yeah that's what this
2: with the diaphragm you have to leave it in for six hours once you put it in after you have intercourse oh you have to leave it in for six hours because i guess that's and surely the amount of time even with spermicide i mean surely you it's less than that for the sperm to die like six hours must be like a like a like a threshold
0: or something it's really funny because sperm is so like vulnerable to everything (laughs) And the, the inside of the female reproductive tract is a really hostile environment. <laughs> and they still survive. Like, you know, in terms of male fertility, male only need 40% of their sperm to be moving to be called fertile. So they can have 60% not moving. Really? Yep. Right. And they're fertile. But, you know, they seem so bad. And yet once they're in there, they just want to stay, which doesn't really make sense. But they do what they do and we just have to deal with
1: it uh this has honestly been one of the most interesting hay (laughs) soul sisters
2: i've ever done i love it i know she can talk to you for like another hour about it as well probably like weeks actually
1: (laughs) well i would like to thank you both coming into the studio today i've really really enjoyed this conversation it's been so interesting and i've learned all these little tidbits about fertility and contraception and women's bodies it's um amazing thank you so much em thanks for having me hey and alex i'm so glad we went and had that um kombucha (laughs) at the end i know i'm telling the world about my cervix Now, how can people find out about you? Go, M. How can people find out about you? Um,
0: you can find me on Twitter and my handle is Emma Ulema, which is, it's actually the outer surface of an egg is an Ulema and it oh. rhymes with my name. So that's E-M-M-A-O-O-L-E-M-M-A. Lovely. I never knew that.
2: Oh. And I'm just at Alex Morris Wright, W-R-I. IT. Alex Morris, right? And you're yep. learning
1: Spanish. Ah, see, sí. i I've been watching your Spanish <laughs> yeah, so stories. You I'm
2: learning Spanish on Instagram. It's, <laughs> I'm very impressed. <laughs> Gracias, amiga. <laughs>
0: okay, thanks, Soul Sisters. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help, help you on your crazy, your crazy life journey? journey? Email melissa
1: at
2: thesisterco.com.